Welcome to Thriving on the Prairie, a podcast exploring issues concerning families and communities that inspires North Dakota movers and shakers and community makers to engage in lifelong learning. I'm Sue Millinder, I'm Barnes County Extension Agent, and today I'm honored to introduce you to Rochelle Veteran, who is a professor and the Leadership and Volunteer Development Specialist for North Dakota State University. In her extension role, she conducts research and provides education for both youth and adults in the areas of leadership, ethics, generations, youth development, and volunteer development. You know, she works in both the NDSU Extension Center for 4-H Youth Development, as well as family and community wellness. In her faculty role, she teaches online classes for Great Plains IDEA, IDEA, Youth Development Master's Program. You are busy, Rochelle. She has her BA in psychology and her MS in counseling and human resource, resource development, sorry, from South Dakota State University. And her PhD is in counselor education and supervision from NDSU. And she lives in Holly with their 17-year-old son and 13-year-old daughter, Emily. Like I said, Rochelle, you are really busy. Well, thank you. I appreciate you reading all of that. I didn't know how much I should share with you. So thanks. Um, yeah, and it's fun to talk to you on this finally sunny spring day with all sorts of exciting things happening. Our 4-H club meetings are starting or groups are starting to meet face to face and spring sports is happening. So it's great to have a chance to chat. I know. And you know, 4-H season is gearing up. And I, as a 4-H coordinator in Barnes County, am calling all sorts of volunteers to the task of judging and um, looking at different projects. And so I've been doing some reading on volunteerism. And I, what I've noticed, Rochelle, is that it has really changed. So the book that I've been reading is called The New Breed, Understanding and Equipping the 21st Century Volunteer by Jonathan and Thomas McKee. And what what captured my attention was the 21st century volunteer. And I, you know, I'll be the very first to admit I'm old. And when I think of volunteering, I think of, gosh, I've got to commit my firstborn when I volunteer because I'm there for life. And I, I actually took a step back and I was calling all these volunteers and Rochelle, I was getting so frustrated because I was like, God, these aren't the same kind of volunteers and and uh, attitudes that I had back in the day or that my mom demonstrated for me back in the day. And, and so I thought, well, where are these passionate volunteers? And then of course, as we all do, I went into this defense mode and I said, well, it's not my fault. Everyone is so busy and sports consume people. And gosh, there isn't time to turn around, let volunteer. But then I started reading this book and Rochelle, I realized, gosh, it is my fault that I am not reaching these volunteers because times have changed. And the way people want to volunteer has evolved in this 21st century. So I'm not alone in this. I know that there are lots of people who are trying to gather volunteers, churches and civic organizations and schools. And that's why I thought it's so important for us to understand what the 21st century volunteer looks like. And so that's why I'm interested in talking to you and finding out how you can, you know, steer us in the right direction so that we can gather all these wonderful people. 
Well, I am excited to talk with you about this too, because it is such an important subject. And I don't want to say gone is the, are the days of that 30-year volunteer, but it it volunteering does look different for just the reasons that you um, talked about. We are looking because of the different opportunities that we all have as far as getting engaged in our communities. Volunteers want to try on different things. And so we have to offer things in a different way, um, much like what the book that you read talked about. So um, I would love to get into some of those details related to um, how that kind of looks. But um, I know I think you have some more questions for me. I do. So what I'm thinking is that I need to learn about maybe how to empower volunteers to serve in ways that meet their needs as well as my needs. And I have to pay attention to the needs that they have and what they want to get out of volunteering. Well, so I think um, really thinking through the kind of volunteer that you're looking for um, and what your needs are for your organization, whether for us it's extension, but if as you look in communities, like you mentioned, um, faith communities and other places that use volunteers, what are really those volunteers that you are looking for and then what kind of qualifications do they have because you have ha have to have really a good idea um a clear idea of what you're asking before for before you ask those volunteers because to in this day and age volunteers want to know what they're committing to they want a, a role description or a position description that tells them okay this is what they're asking of me and this is the time commitment they're looking for again maybe it's that i'm um, going to volunteer once a month for three hours a month, or maybe it's going to take some more prep time, but they do want those specifics. And then they, a lot of times they really want to be recruited for their expertise. So if you have someone um, that you know is excellent, as we talked about um, in, in managing social media, maybe you've just, you follow them and you've realized that they're really great at getting messages out. And you know that an event that you have are having coming up, maybe it is something related to a church function or a an extension function, you say to that individual, you know, I know you're busy, but your skills I have noticed in social media are amazing. Would you be willing to contribute to this community function that we have coming up and helping manage the social media? So it'll be for the three months coming up to that event, and then it'll be done you know, or maybe some posts afterwards. So it isn't like this, I'm asking you and it's going to be 10 years, <laughs> you're going to have to help me out with this. That makes sense? It does make sense. I really like the idea of having not only that designated time frame, but also what the roles and responsibilities of that position are, because sometimes my guess is that at least when I volunteered, I didn't really know what my role was. And sometimes I felt like I was doing some sort of, well, role creep or mission creep where I would, I didn't want to step on anyone else's toes. And then I also didn't always understand my terms. Like, okay, I'm, I'm on for this particular role and it will be three months. And I think people are so busy now with um, all their kids' activities and, and um, you know, wanting to travel if you're older. They, you really don't want to be kind of stuck forever and then feel like you can't get out. So that would really help. And I love your language about noticing what they're good at and then plugging them into something that they're feeling comfortable with. 
Well, and that's really what um, I know specifically our baby boomer volunteers out there because of the travel, probably being retired, wanting to spend time with their grandchildren. A great way to recruit them is to say, you know, I, I realize you're really good at photography or maybe at um, financial management. Would you be willing to come in and talk to our group about how we really um, keep the treasurer's books in a good way for our nonprofit? Would you be willing to come in and share like on one Saturday, do a, a photography workshop for us? So it isn't that it's that long-term commitment, but you can't, they get a taste of it. And then if they like it, they may come back for more. The other thing I wanted to mention too, is when you're, you're recruiting, you really do want um, them to feel like they're going to make a difference because no matter what generation of volunteer you're, you're talking about, they want to know that their volunteering is going to make an impact and make a difference in your organization and or your community. And the importance with all of that is after they volunteer, you need to come back and share that impact with them. So because of you, Here's what we saved as far as maybe the value of volunteer time and the dollars that you saved as an organization. Or look at this, because of your volunteering, we now have this amazing structure at this community park, or we've been able to expand our library, or you know, just to give them those that they've made that impact in their communities. Well, you've given us a really good kind of overview of how to approach a volunteer um, the book talks a little bit about dating. He says um, you could look at recruiting volunteers in terms of dating. Can you tell me a little bit about what he meant by that? Well, that ties into really knowing kind of, first of all, what you're looking for um, for your organization for, you know, your volunteer needs, and then targeting those individuals you think that would meet those needs. But you don't just walk up and do that kind of cold ask. You need to do the dating like you talked about. So maybe you invite them out to coffee and have a conversation to find out about their interests, what they're passionate about, perhaps like what their schedule kind of looks like so that you know um, that they get to know you and trust you, that they kind of maybe and you get a chance to share what your organization does and how you're looking for some people to make an impact in that. But you kind of want them to feel comfortable with you before you make that ask and that you hear about them so that eventually you know what would be the right ask in order to get them to volunteer and get them right in the in the right position in your organization as a volunteer. You know, I thought it was interesting because if I ask and they say no, I really don't want to ask them again, but I think I should, shouldn't I? And how do I do that? So that's exactly the book talks about just the no, just probably it sometimes means not yet. So um, coming back, maybe letting them think about it, maybe letting them take that um, position description for that. Eventually on one of your, maybe your second meeting with them, you bring along kind of what you were thinking they'd be a good fit with and just say, I'd like you to think about this. If maybe you're too busy right now, but maybe in two or three months or a year from now, you'd consider um, helping us out with this. Maybe the event we're hosting, you have a conflict this year, but are you willing to come in next year and help us out? So that it isn't that no forever, just maybe no, not right now. Yeah, I just don't want them to, to meet them walking down the street, you know, and then they're see me and they're like, oh gosh, and turn around and, and walk the other way. I don't want that. I don't want to scare away 
finding volunteers. Um, I know the McKees talked about seven deadly sins of recruiting volunteers. Can you touch on a couple that really resonate with you? Well, one of the things um, we always say is that, well, like you were discussing, um, those personal asks really are the way that you recruit volunteers, that dating piece. Just sending out a broad um, post, maybe in the newspaper or on your social media or um, just in general, an email to like a whole group of people saying, we need volunteers is really not gonna get at the volunteers that you want. People have a tendency just to gloss over those things and not really, and say, oh, they'll find somebody else that fits the bill. But if you make that targeted ask, when you said, if they run in the other direction, you know, how many times when someone's asked you to volunteer, aren't you honored? And if they give you the specifics, you know, if they say, Sue, I really want you to volunteer for our organization because you bring bring these wonderful creative ideas and your excellent organizational skills. You have wonderful connections in the community. You would be the perfect fit for us. How many times have you said, oh my gosh, yuck, I'm, I, that's terrible that they said all those great things about me. I, I don't ever want to talk to them again. Would you ever say that? No, I actually, you're right. I would be very honored if I were targeted based on my skills and expertise and what I could bring to the program. You're right. I wouldn't run away, I'd probably run toward that person. Right. So, so again, one of the deadly sins is just that blanket recruitment. And then for you too, you might end up with people walking through your door that don't fit your needs. And then the worst thing you can do, I always say, if you don't use your volunteers, you lose your volunteers. So that would mean, you know, you're losing that person that's coming through the door that saw the ad, but really you don't have anything for them to do right now, you know, because maybe in our program, we're not covering that subject that they're good at or something. So that's one of them. And then we talked about the recruit only, one of the deadly sins is only volunteers who can make long-term commitments. I know just personally for me, with the volunteer roles I'm in, I want to know kind of what the, the timeline of them is. And then I also want to know, a, a lot of times for me, it's it's a relief to know that there are a couple other volunteers that'll be there to co-volunteer with me. So when I've done um, snacks at church for our youth programs or whatever, I've had two other co-volunteers that are there to kind of help manage the load or in our 4-H club that I volunteer in, there's two other volunteers that are 4-H volunteers with me. So it's kind of a balance. And if one time I can't make it to a meeting or an event, there's two other ones to back me up. So again, those shorter term commitments with maybe some help. Um, there's lots of other ones. Um, again, I kind of think we talked about one of them says re recruit and just basically anyone. And I think you've heard me talk about, again, that targeted recruitment um, is, is really important. So, you know, you talk about targeted recruitment and I'm thinking about generations. So I'm thinking about my parents who might be in their 80s, who could bring some wonderful skills to the table. But also I live in Barnes County with Valley City State University and we've got some young whippersnappers. So how does generations play into uh, volunteering? Well, you are right that that your opportunities there are are endless as far as giving those Generation Zs at Valley City State those those generations now that are in high school or middle school, high school, and on to college even um, a chance to really gather some experience or gain some experience for volunteering for you. Um, Gen Z has some different um, desires related to volunteer experience. 
while they um, want to be engaged in schools and communities and all of that, they really do want their experience to look a little different than per perhaps, like you said, your parents' generation. Um, they look to communities that offer opportunities to really tackle some of the social problems we have or societal problems. They want to make that large difference and make a change. Um, but the cool thing about them is, like we talked about, I really, they want to not only just work at the soup kitchen or collect food for the food pantry, they want to get to the root of the issue and, and tackle food insecurity. They want to figure out what they can do to address those needs behind it. Are there, is there legislation that they need to work on? Are there certain things they can do with technology and food production to make it that they're addressing that behind the scenes, the bigger picture rather than just a Band-Aid approach. They, they, they don't want that. They want to do more than that. My, my son says, I want to build a business someday so mom, people are paid well enough that they don't need that extra support. They need to actually, they want, they're going to be successful in their communities without needing, you know, being hungry. So it's those, they're looking at a different way of doing things. You know, I think that pretty much nails it because when we're looking at volunteerism, it's not just that you can put a certain volunteer into a certain uh, um, role. I mean, you've got volunteers with tons of different passions and coming from a lot of different generations. And our role in finding volunteers, like you had said, is finding their niche and then asking them personally to help you with the impact and solve either this problem or to help you out with this. And I would think that would be almost um, a self-esteem booster on the volunteer side, community help for, for everybody within the, you know, the area. And then also as a volunteer recruiter, gosh, that's, that would be a, a great way to um, build your slate of volunteers. So I've got, um, a ton more questions, and I've absolutely pummeled you with questions. You're just a wealth of information, so much fun to visit with, and I would love to continue our conversation and dive deeper into how to empower the volunteers once you have them, and then how to retain them, because let's say you have them for that three-month short time span. How can you get them to come back for that three months, for another three months? You know, or um, how do you get that second date, as we say? So thank you so much for coming on and visiting us, visiting with us about volunteerism, because like I said, it's it's a problem trying to, you know, we need volunteers for so many things. And if, if we as the volunteer coordinators can really help them, help the volu future volunteers to fill their needs as well as filling ours, it's a win-win. So thank you so much, Rochelle. Well, yes, and I just want to say thank you. I love, as you can tell, talking about this. And just as we leave, want to say that whatever you do at the end of the day, as someone who works with and manages volunteers, don't forget to say thank you and really recognize them for the work, the amazing work that they're doing and share that impact about the things because that will keep them coming back, that they know that they've made a difference, that they've made a contribution to your organization or community is so important, much more important than any plaque or pin or medal that you could give them. Saying thank you and telling them how they've made a difference is the most important. So thanks for inviting me to talk with you today.
Well, I think it's appropriate to say thank you as well for volunteering to come on our podcast this afternoon. Thanks for listening to Thriving on the Prairie. To subscribe to this podcast and access a full transcript and resource links from this episode, visit www.agag.ndsu.edu backslash thriving on the prairie. You can find more resources for families and communities at www.ndsu.edu backslash extension. This has been a production of NDSU Extension, extending knowledge, changing lives.